I'm probably get myself in a lot of trouble here. Preaching like that tends to elevate the preacher more than it elevates the text. Welcome to the Uncut Podcast. I'm Pastor Luke. And I'm Pastor Cameron. And this is the Uncut Podcast, where we have uncut and honest conversations about faith, life, and ministry. Um, today, we find ourselves back in the podcast studio. Yeah, we took the green screen down <laughs> that had us out on a porch in the wilderness last week, or no, not two last weeks week, ago. two weeks ago. Um, yeah, we haven't been we haven't been in here in three weeks mm-hmm. to record an episode. Um, and last Monday, mm-hmm. we didn't have an episode. No, we didn't. First first time we missed a Monday in a while, forty two weeks or something, something like that. Like that so mm-hmm. yeah, been all all year. We we had kind of committed to you know not doing an episode and then waiting three or four weeks and doing an episode and then waiting six weeks and doing an episode. Yeah. We wanted to make sure that we got as much content out there on a regular and consistent basis as we could. So, um, but I was out of I was out of the country. I was on vacation mm-hmm. and um you were just busy. I was busy, yeah. So, I didn't want to I couldn't I didn't try super hard, but um it was a weird staff week here. I didn't really have anyone else to pull in for the podcast by the time I was ready to do it on, you know, on Thursday. Mm-hmm. And um and uh, I didn't want to do a, a monologue. Didn't want to just stare awkwardly into the camera. I didn't feel camera. like it, you know. I mean, like, like obviously, there's time and place for that. And I know you, you know, the rooted uh, podcast works well in that mm-hmm. in that type of um, format. But, um, yeah, I just by the time Thursday came around last week, I wasn't feeling it. So yeah, I get it. So we just let it sit. But yep. anyway, we're back, and uh, it's good to be back in in this format. Um, and for the last couple of Oh, I think it's, I mean, it's got to be like six, seven weeks now. We've been preaching through the book of Romans mm-hmm. and also uh, teaching a Wednesday night Bible study class through yeah. the book of Romans, kind of as a parallel guide. Um, and it's been, uh, I think it's been really good. Mm-hmm. It's been good for the people here at uh, Conduit. I, at least I hope and pray that that's the case. Um, but also just been really good for me. Yeah, it's been, well, because it's been really, we've, like, we shifted a little bit when we started this series. We decided we were going to slow down a little bit more in our mm. preaching and, and how big of a chunk we committed ourselves to preaching through each week and mm-hmm. things like that. And so, uh, yeah, I feel like it, you know, like we, we create the schedules and I think we think sometimes that the schedules make it easier, but in some ways it can, at least in cases like when you're preaching through Romans or a book that's really rich or deep or long or whatever, mm-hmm. and actually the schedule can be somewhat restrictive for you. Yeah. Well, and you know, it, it always kind of, I don't know. There's benefits to preaching, bigger chunks and going through things faster. And then there's benefits to slowing down, doing smaller chunks. Yeah. You know, um, I feel like Romans is that book 
there, you know, um, inside of like pastor jokes and memes. Um, you know, if a pastor is going to, oh, I'm going to do my sermon series on Romans for the next five years, right? Yeah, uh, that's kind of like a like uh, kind of ironic. Um, Mm-hmm. joke but it's also kind of reality like i know the churches that have spent literally you know one to two years preaching through the book of romans because the pastor preaches like two verses at a time yeah um and that's got its own like, i don't want to say that that doesn't have value or anything like that right. it obviously does um you know a lot of the a lot of the preachers that people kind of like idolize in the years gone years bygone preached really small chunks mm-hmm. like um Spurgeon mm-hmm. like would do one or two verses or half a verse or something like that. But their preaching style was also not really exegetical. Right. Was it Martin Lloyd Jones that preached like four hundred sermons or something like that through Romans? That wouldn't surprise me. Yeah, um, <laughs> it, was something, it was something like super ridiculous like that. It was like in the four hundreds or something. Yeah, he preached it for like sixteen years. Yeah, so it's kind of a joke to to kind of do that. But like, there's also a reason for it, you know, to like slow down and um, work through ideas and kind of get through them and well to make sure you squeeze everything out of it that you possibly can yeah i don't know sometimes for me it feels like though that there is um there is a point where preaching like that i'm probably getting myself a lot of trouble here no i think i agree with you (laughs) any other preachers are listening is i think preaching like that tends to elevate the preacher more than it elevates the text Mm. you know because it's like watch how i can preach an entire sermon or two or three sermons out of this one verse yeah um or watch me preach one whole sermon out of this one verse because sometimes one verse is really (laughs) kind of inconsequential to the whole of the argument mm-hmm. that's being made in the larger chunk of the passage. And yeah. it's not necessary to preach a whole sermon out of one verse. Like, you know, we're by the time this episode goes live, we'd be essentially through the fifth chapter of Romans. We taught on uh, Romans five last night at mm-hmm. Bible study. And if you were to look at like a, a, a chapter, like chapter five in Romans, you could probably preach quite a few sermons out of something like that. Yeah. Um, but like Romans chapter four is essentially one big argument. Mm-hmm. It's not, it's not like there's not several points. There's not, there's not even really any really good, like exit ramps into anything else. No. It's one singular point yeah. that he summarizes at the end mm-hmm. about Abraham being justified by faith, and he kind of uses Abraham as his as Paul as his own little personal proof text yep. for the idea that righteousness is from faith, mm-hmm. not by works or not by adherence to the law or not by anything other than faith. So, to take a verse and to make multiple sermons out of it when there's whole chapters. Yeah, that are 
one sermon or less. Mm-hmm. I think for me, sometimes what it feels like is like you just want your people to know how smart you are <laughs> or you just want like, I, I don't know. It just, sometimes it just rubs me the wrong way. Well, I, I, I get what you're saying. It's interesting the way you, you, the reason I don't love what some people call. So sometimes I've encountered, will encounter people who say, Oh, like, um, and this could be, like, if someone were to come to our church and I think listen to the majority of our preaching, somebody could be critical of us in this way, and I'd actually be kind of happy that they're critical of us like, like this. But some people say, well, I go to a real church where we preach the Bible, and our preacher, he preaches it verse by verse. Mm-hmm. And what I what they usually mean by that is the pastor kind of slogs through an overly detailed Bible study, not a sermon. Yeah. And he goes, you know, a handful of verses at a time. Yeah. Yeah. And one of the reasons I don't particularly love that style of preaching is because it loses, it focuses, it, you have the danger of focusing so much on the tree that you lose the forest. Mm-hmm. And I'll, I'll point this out to people all the, not all the time, but I try to point it out regularly. I know I've done it in that Wednesday night class, and I've done it um, in the pulpit at times, where if we are so um, so zeroed in on one particular idea or subject or paragraph, and this happens a fair amount inside of our Bibles because our Bibles are broken up uh, somewhat artificially by chapters. Mm-hmm. So like we have these chapter divisions that weren't original to the text that mm-hmm. somebody... Um, I'm not saying chapter of divisions are bad, not right. saying that, but they do create a division in the text that wasn't original to the author's intent. Um, and so I think last time I pointed this out was um, the end of chapter one of Romans. Yep. It gets really into like this list of sin, really is talking a lot about like homosexual sin and things like that. It's really just driving at that. And if you were to preach that text in a really broken up, segmented manner, it'd be really easy to go real hard right there. And then forget what's coming in the very next verse in chapter two. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Judge, Judge not. not. <laughs> Essentially. Because yeah. you do the same thing, right. too. You stand mm-hmm. on... So, you know, I and I made that point in, I think, our Wednesday night class. I said, it would be really easy for me to look at the examples that Paul are using to typify Gentile sin here and go and go all finger wagging. But that's if I only ignore the very next couple of verses that are meant to also humble me mm-hmm. as I preach this. And so it's things like that where I think if we're overly like set into this kind of very segmented piece by piece place, we could potentially miss the larger picture. Mm-hmm. And I think some people do miss that larger picture. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's... well, And <laughs> you thought you knew what I was going to say, then I thought I knew what you were going to say. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> and then so I... But I think this is essentially what you are saying, is that we don't... I don't even say we don't preach verse by verse because, or word by word, because sometimes it's necessary. Mm-hmm. Like you're preaching on Romans chapter five this week. You could take the first six verses of Romans chapter five 
you know, um, suffering produces perseverance and perseverance produces um, character and character produces hope and hope does not disappoint. Like that could be oh. a word, like a verse by verse, word by word sermon very easily because yeah. that's what the text, the text kind of demands that you take that section of scripture like that. And that would be a good sermon. That would, it would, but there is also like whole chunks of scripture that have, and I think this is more typical to our style of preaching is that we don't preach word for word or word to word. We preach idea to idea Mm -hmm. that there is an idea or a premise or a, that larger argument, a larger argument, like, yeah, essentially what you said, um, it's being made in this chunk and then, okay, then it moves to this chunk and then it moves to this chunk. Mm-hmm. And sometimes that chunk is a sentence and sometimes it's a word and sometimes it's a whole chapter. It just, right. so my preference is to not, is to not unnecessarily slog through a portion of scripture simply to say, I preached this word for word for word when it's not really necessary and it really only ends up elevating my own apprehension of the text, Mm -hmm. but doesn't really add any value to those who are listening. Well, and it like, yeah. Like over-referencing the Greek. Well, in the Greek, this word means, well, you know what? No one cares. (laughs) Literally, no one cares. Well. Do you, what's your what's your thought about this? Other than other than no one cares, because I know that there are some people who don't care. There are right. some people who do care, but I was told by my preaching professors, and I think I agree generally with this principle: is like if like reference the Greek sparingly mm-hmm. or the Hebrew, mm-hmm. because what you don't want to undermine the congregation's confidence in them being able to handle scriptures themselves. Without the Greek and Hebrew. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Like, I think that that does kind of, yeah, you don't want to undermine there. But to me, that seems a little patronizing. It is a little patronizing. It's the reason why I sometimes do reference it. Yeah. Because I'm like, I don't know. Like, sometimes there is like a reason to call people up. People want to know stuff yeah and it's not like even when i started seminary or when i started undergrad i was taking greek classes like there wasn't the type of resources that there is for the lay person oh yeah that there is now Mm -hmm. like now i don't i don't go back i haven't had to maintain my greek Mm -hmm. i don't have to maintain my 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 greek recollection now because the the tools that are available to me and to everyone online are so much better like i've only got so much bandwidth up here yeah you know and like i if i have the an easy tool over here where i can reference and study the greek then i'm not going to memorize it because i don't need to i was never good at parsing yeah. I've got logos now. I just hover over the word and it parses it for me. Right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so it's not it doesn't become necessary. I you know like do do people need to know the Greek? Some people do. Well, like, I mean academics, people... like I want to read I want to read a commentary by somebody who knows the Greek. Yeah. If, you know, but but here I guess for me the 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 problem the problem lies in 
how much definitive difference is at this point in Christian scholarship or New mm-hmm. Testament scholarship in particular, how much definitive difference is knowing the Greek making in the idea of the passage, it may make a difference in the way that you, the grammatical like function of the passage, it may make a difference in like the literary function of the passage, Mm -hmm. but we're not seeing like any Greek scholars now are like, well, thank goodness I know the Greek because now I can tell you that all of Christendom has been seeing the passage like this, but I can tell you it should really be translated like this. And my translation dramatically affects the theological tra- trajectory of this whole book. Well, Cameron, there are people who are saying that. Well, I know, but they're wrong. <laughs> they're so wrong. I can think and, of one person who's saying that and they're wrong. <laughs> right. And like, I don't know. Like, yeah, they do say that, but I don't know anyone that actually takes those people seriously. Yeah. Well, you at least shouldn't. <laughs> shouldn't. Right. And, yeah. and, um, I read, um, a reel or an Instagram post the other day. And I think I actually reposted it, but like, it's not like we, we are, we are an overeducated. Christians are generally overeducated and under obedient. Ooh. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, like they wait, they know way more than they're actually willing to be obedient to. Yes. yes. And so the issue is not that like, Oh, we need to hear the Greek because we need to know more. Mm-hmm. No, the issue is, is you need to, do what you know. You're not undereducated. You're yeah. under obedient. Under obedient. Yeah. Yeah. How much of the last Bible study have you applied? Right. I I this was a sermon I heard forever ago from Matt Chandler, and it has always stuck with me. He was talking about this concept and he described he's like, there are too many spiritually obese Christians. Mm-hmm. Too many Christians who listen, and I was I'm one of them, like listen to podcasts all the time, sermons, read so much, study so much, how much of that have you applied? Mm-hmm. You don't need to understand more of God's Word. You need mm-hmm. to obey more of God's Word. Mm-hmm. I mean, no one wants to hear this, but it's a form of works. Mm-hmm. It's a form of works righteousness. Like, I'm going to be better when I know more. Yeah. False. In fact, I, it's all, it often ends up being... The opposite, because in our quest to know more, we become puffed up with pride. Mm-hmm. Um, and it actually ends up being something that we lean on uh, rather than, rather than um, you know, like seeking to be obedient. Mm-hmm. So. so you're saying, Cameron, that faith in Christ or faith of Christ in Romans... <sighs> We, we we shouldn't dig into that. <laughs> well, it depends on who you are. It depends on who you are. That was a, I think that's a detail in Romans we haven't talked about. We didn't talk it's about not. in the sermons or the... Because uh, it is kind of a... At the end of the day, it kind of is a bit of a wash. Um, yeah. It's but, still imputed to us. Right. Or the what, what I read a lot, and some there's one particular commentary that i had to set down because i'm like this is not helping me really yeah it was actually and it's this doesn't happen to me a lot but it's actually nt Wright's commentary 
Ooh, interesting. Yeah. The New Interpreter's Commentary, mm-hmm. which is those big ones that I have. Yeah. They, uh, the Romans one is written by N.T. Wright. And I usually really appreciate his stuff. Um, but, like, and I'm not here to argue with him. He's way smarter than I am. Yep. Like, obviously, yeah, yeah. I'm not here to we're argue not, with we're him. We're not here to argue with Wright. No. Um, he um, publishes, like, more books. And he publishes, like, five books while we're sleeping. Yeah, like, and he's probably, like... The most prolific Pauline scholar, yes, alive today. Yeah, one of them at least. Yep. And anyway, so like he, his one of his main premises is like the righteousness that's talked about in, um, in, uh, in Romans is more about a quest for God's justice. That righteousness is more is is in Romans is closely related to his justice. Okay, yeah. Um, and the justice of making all things right mm-hmm. and just. And um, But it's such a nuanced view that it's not super clear. You know, it's not, you, you, you have to do literary study, grammatical study, deep Greek study to come to that nuanced understanding. Mm-hmm. And so to take what he's saying in the commentary, which is not a super technical commentary either, to take what he's saying in the commentary as like, a oh, this is the way to understand Romans and then to go to preach it, I would have to do so much nuancing of the, I know your English Bible's conduit says this, but this is what it actually is. And I know... The flow of Paul's thought in your NIV looks like this, but this is actually what he's talking about over here. It does, I think, create practical problems for people as they're reading their Bible. It's like, well, oh, I'm going to just stop reading my Bible because obviously I don't understand any of it. Right, because every I week get it. Every week my pastor gets up there, he's telling me to scratch out one word and put another word in. Right. So I just don't find it particularly helpful nor do I find that it makes a significant difference in the way that people in the access that people have to the heart of the spirit of the passage. Yeah. If it if there's like something that like really dramatically changes something, mm-hmm. then yeah, like I, I want to bring it up and I want to talk about it and uh but um but there you know, I'm not I'm not super eager to do that if that if it just is really like a distinction without a difference that just elevates my understanding of the text because I can read the Greek when they can't. Yeah. It just doesn't make sense to me. Right. Well, and that gets to the the theological conviction of perspicuity of scripture. Mm, right. That's a good word. Yeah. Perspicuity. Um <laughs> what's perspicuity, Pastor Luke? Uh it's this belief that whatever that the Bible, not all of the Bible is perfectly clear. There's passages that we read that are weird. Um, you know, um passages that maybe we don't understand or we don't quite grasp or are kind of obscure. But so the perspicuity of scripture doesn't believe it doesn't say that all of scripture is clear. What it does say is that the primary and important elements of scripture are clear. Christ being divine, God being creator, mm. God's redemption plan for humanity through mm. faith in Christ, like those things mm. pretty clear, 
Mm-hmm. Um, whether or not it's Arminian or Calvinism, not so much. Pre-post amillennialism. Oh yes, you know yeah. the end times. I just say glorious return at this point. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, the rapture. Mm-hmm. Who is the antichrist? Who is the antichrist? By the way. Oh, um, <laughs> he's this really random guy that lives in Oklahoma. Oh, um, <laughs> some people have said. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. What were we talking about? Um, all of Romans. All well, of we're Romans. Talking the, so anyway, yeah. like, um, you know how how you move through a passage of scripture, how you move through, how you form sermons. I I don't know. Like I don't. It, it's interesting to me because it's easy for us to talk about these things like they're like they're normal to everyone else in all of life. Yeah, you know, but it's not like I don't know that everyone really thinks about how their pastors go about creating content for sermons or Bible studies or anything like that. I think there's just this assumption that, I don't know. I don't know what the assumption is. I don't know. I mean, everybody who's listening, if you're not in in ministry or pastor, this is what at least I want to talk about at social parties when I'm done with small talk and talk and I don't want to have anything else to talk about. I just want to talk about nerdy Bible stuff. Um, But yeah, I don't know that this is like, because it's, I, I had a conversation, I don't know if I talked about this on the podcast or not, I had a conversation several months ago now uh, with uh, some people who were developing an AI sermon writing app. Mm. Now, that's not what they pitched it to me when I had the conversation mm-hmm. with them, but as soon as I sat down with them, I was like, oh, this is that's like... That's what it is. Yeah. That's what it is. It was mm-hmm. ChatGBT reskinned and like being, mm-hmm. you know, sold as like a way to write your sermons yeah. in it entirely. And I had some conversations with them. I was like, well, you know, like you need to figure out if you're going to have a like inductive sermon or a deductive sermon, if you're going to follow this, a big idea model of preaching, or if you're going to follow like a question model of preaching, mm-hmm. are you going to use like a story method? Like what are the methods of your preaching? Like having those kind of base outlines and, you know, um, and I said, and it's not enough to just say, like, to enter into a, even, this is like one of the problems with Google research, is it's not enough to just enter into Google, what does Romans 5, 7 mean? It, because you're going to get like, you know, no one, mo- like what, like 90% of people don't go past the first search page. page. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, and those first couple links are all going to look the same. They're all going to have these very popular understandings of it. There's not going to be a whole lot of back and forth. Mm-hmm. And the, the really hard thing about like AI, even for like the future of AI when we stop, because people are starting to stop using Google and they're starting to use chat, GBT, and other AI mm-hmm. bots, is you don't even get a list of results. You just get an answer mm-hmm. synthesized. Yeah. But you don't know the argumentation behind the synthesization of yeah. the of that yeah. um of that answer you got. So anyways, I was talking to them all about that those complexities. I was like, well, you really do need multiple sources in order to understand because if one person thinks the passage needs this, I need to understand why he thinks that even if I end up disagreeing with him. Mm-hmm. I need that understanding. And they just sat there and looked at me and they said, "Wow, you take this very seriously." And I was like, "Yeah." 
what kind of pastors have you been talking to? Like, mm-hmm. who doesn't take it this seriously? Yeah. Um, yeah. Which made me really concerned because I was like, because I do know that like there is, um, like when I first, I don't, maybe this would be an interesting question about like your very first sermons, Cameron. But um, <laughs> <laughs> when I started preaching, I hadn't gone to Bible college or anything yet. I was just serving as like a youth guy. And I say youth guy because I wasn't officially anything. I was just, I was, wasn't was on staff or anything. So I was like the youth leader, but I was a volunteer. So I was the youth guy is what I called myself. Um, I was just listening to sermons and just trying to mimic what they did. And I was like reading my Bible. I don't know that I was consulting. I don't really remember consulting very many commentaries. Um, I was... You know, I had some very basic Bible study skills. I could, like, look in a concordance and stuff. Um, But I kind of just hodgepodged it together, and by God's grace, I think it bore some fruit. Uh, And also, by God's grace, none of those were recorded for posterity. Um, Because I'm pretty sure they were pretty abysmal. But I think some people never move past that Mm -hmm. type of preaching, Mm -hmm. of just kind of hodgepodging it together. Mm Mm-hmm. I don't know. What was your? What were your early preaching? Oh my gosh! What dude. was that like? Do you know how old I was? <laughs> I preached my first sermon twenty-seven years ago. How old were you? Fourteen. You were fourteen. I was fourteen. Yeah. I think I was at least nineteen or twenty. Yeah, I was fourteen. Um. I God bless my pastor. Um I was 14 years old. Uh-huh. Was in my home church. I was so short like physically. <laughs> this is my stature. <laughs> Were you hidden behind the pulpit? I was. I had to get a, uh, one of those little small kitty chairs from the nursery uh-huh. and I stepped up onto it so I could be seen from behind the pulpit. Uh-huh. Everyone laughed. I remember that. There is a recording of it out there somewhere. I don't know that I have it or that it was ever saved, but it was that. Like a set somewhere? Yeah, probably. Um, and it was, um, I don't remember what it was, what I preached on. I do remember that every year um, there was a youth group Sunday where the youth group did the whole service. They led the worship, mm-hmm. they did mm-hmm. the readings, they did the preaching, or whatever. And, um. And there, I it was I I don't know if I volunteered to preach or if I was voluntold to preach or not, but um I think it was for you know I don't really remember a whole lot, but um it was I think it was clear at that point that God had a calling on my life to preach, and so I got to preach at fourteen, um and then I preached at. Then I preached about once a year mm-hmm. after that until I really until I was into college and actually studying to be a pastor and preacher. And then actually by the time I got to college, I was, I was preaching multiple times um, a year and sometimes it even in different churches. Mm-hmm. So 17, 18, 19, I was preaching um, at a couple different churches a couple times a year. And then, um, and then I would say that my first, well, 
then in college, my junior year, my junior year of college, I got a job as a discipleship. I think it was a director. Okay. But I was a discipleship pastor at a United Methodist Church on the west side of the city of Rochester and got to preach there um, as a staff person. And then, and so I would preach whatever they would, they, and that, and this was in the height of the purpose-driven movement, and they were... Oh, the purpose-driven church, yes. and purpose-driven life, yes. purpose-driven family. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So they were, they were a purpose-driven church. It was, a, it was, it was, a, honestly, it was a great, great, great church. Mm-hmm. And the pastor there, Pastor Jeff Long, I think he's retired now, but was, man, such an awesome guy, and loved me and discipled me and gave me so many opportunities that I had not earned or deserved um, and really appreciate him. And uh, so preached in there about some discipleship stuff and some evangelism things. Cause, um, and then uh, I do remember when I got my, when I was appointed to my first church as pastor, mm-hmm. this would have been Sherry and I had been married less than a year at that point and i was in seminary and living in a small apartment above a garage i was working construction to make ends meet going to seminary got called to pastor my first church little church out on the lake here in dewittville i was 22 years old 22 years mm-hmm. old and uh this is a church of maybe 22 people <laughs> you know there was like it was pretty small um and I think the 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 person closest in age to Sherry and I was forty years older than us. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it was so crazy. Yeah. But I do remember my first couple. I do remember outside of my first like introductory sermon, which is really just about the story of my calling. Mm-hmm. Was I preached a two or three week series on the Lord's Prayer. And I do, I do still have that. (laughs) In fact, I have it upstairs in my office on a VHS. Oh, wow. So we could probably, if we could ever find a VCR, VCR, we we should bust that that out and not watch it. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sure. This sounds like a staff activity to me. I'm sure it was just... I can probably pull up an old one of mine too. Miserable, horrible. But <laughs> anyway, um, what was the original question? I guess I was, I was just, just reminiscing there. <laughs> like. <laughs> oh no, I was mostly just kind of like, what was your? Because I remember starting to preach, and I had no idea what I was doing. Yeah, like I was just. I was kind of like monkey see, monkey do. Like you could mm-hmm. tell if I had listened to, like you could tell which preacher I'd listened to that mm-hmm. week based on how I had preached. Like, mm-hmm. and, you know, mm-hmm. I was preaching to youth. I started out with running a weekly youth ministry at my church, and that was like um, a really fun time of ministry and really appreciative of all of that. And then I think I went into college, and then my first ministry I was assigned in college was doing Sunday service at a retirement home mm. and I alternated preaching with another guy. And so what a great ministry. What a great way to start ministry. It Honestly, was, that's, it was really good. Yeah. And, and like they, they, 
they were very sweet and they were very kind Mm -hmm. and they also challenged me (laughs) you know they would tell us when you know and and it was a it was a jarring thing for me from going to teaching youth high schoolers Mm -hmm. to teaching people who were like you know facing down death um and who had been christians longer than you've been alive exactly Mm -hmm. and so it was you know i i learned a lot through that experience and you know, but I also definitely stuck my foot in my mouth more times than not. And, you know, I, you know, I'm sure that if I were, if I were able to look back at, if those had been recorded, I would maybe cringe at how, um, Mm -hmm. not just the unpolishedness of it sometimes, but, you know, even my own, uh, character flaws that, you know, come through. And that's, I mean, that's just preaching in general, but yeah. But I just was kind of like, I was just kind of thinking like, you know, the way I began when I started preaching was I kind of just, just did it. I didn't know what I was doing. And I think that's, was typical of what I just thought preaching was. And did you have a similar experience or did someone ever like sit down and say, Cameron, like you need to like kind of figure out this is how you're going to structure it. Like, no, no. Yeah. It was the same. Um, and quite honestly, I didn't pay enough attention in my actual preaching classes <laughs> for it to, for even to get, for that to even to take root. And really? like, no, here's actually how, like, you should. Yeah. I wasn't a particularly conscientious or diligent student. Mm-hmm. I was a good student when I applied myself. Yeah. And I, it wasn't that I'm like a theological Neanderthal. No, you're not. It was just that I didn't care. Right. I said, I don't care about this. Like, I just want to go. Can I just go do it? Right. Like, I have, let me just go do it. Right. And um, I will say that, like, most of, I, I say this with no, like, zero, I, I hope you hear me and know my heart in this, like, zero pride, zero anything other than this is just how I have always experienced it is that from even from like as early as I can remember the Sunday school class that I've talked about a lot lately, um, but my Sunday school teacher in junior and senior high, mm-hmm. um, like I, for whatever reason, for the reason of, I just believe God had a call in my life, is that when I look at scripture um, or when I think about faith or when I think about theological points, it just makes sense to me Mm -hmm. and I can kind of, I can kind of like see and like feel how this scripture or this theology or this thing needs to be talked about, could be talked about. Mm -hmm. Um, now, that's always been a real blessing because it hasn't, it's never really like preaching is by far the easiest part of ministry. Mm-hmm. By far. Yeah. Like, <laughs> like it's not even a question. It I think is, you and I would both it's agree. The like, easiest part yeah. of being a pastor mm-hmm. is preparing and preaching. It's time consuming it and is. you have to put in, it, it is work yeah. for sure. I think we're both also, I think uniquely, I think you and I are both gifted 
like I, I would say that's like yeah one of the things that like yeah. you and I both a strength we both share yeah. is like in that area of ministry. Right. Right. I've seen other I've seen big name preachers who are not good at preaching. Right. Um right. And, it's know. just a struggle for them. Right. Where they can they are fantastic administratively. Yes. Which right? and I could have I'm like not. <laughs> it goes back to the same issue that I had with with, with school. Like mm-hmm. I don't care. Right. I am. I'm forced to care, mm-hmm. and I need to care, right? And I, I need to do a better job at it. But at the end of the day, I'm like, man, I just like I want to love people. I want to disciple people. I want to pray for people. I want to counsel people. I want to teach the word. I want to preach the word. Mm-hmm. Leave me alone about all the other stuff. Yeah, um, can't do that. But suffice it to say, like I think that the gifting in preaching has actually. Obviously, it's a gift and a blessing, mm-hmm. but also does sometimes when you are like, when you lean too heavily on the gift, you become lazy about the prep. Yeah. And you can, like, I could probably be 10 times better of a preacher than I am now if I put more work and effort into it yeah. if i developed more illustrations if i um developed my points a little bit better if i worked on my the delivery mm-hmm. the cl- cleaning up my delivery you know my my cleaning up my language I, i'm not cursing from the pulpit <laughs> but often like, right <laughs> but those transition words the ums the ahs the rights oh the my gosh. you know all that kind of stuff the rights you know, the rights man Listen, you you do it too so i do too i <sighs> never did it until i came here yeah. i blame that on you no, you're, um. you're, you're welcome <laughs> um so you know i think sometimes the gifting can lead to a laziness and it takes an intentional effort to get better when you started out fairly good mm-hmm. at something. Yeah. I don't I'll, say that with any pride, just the reality. No. Yeah. Like, like and, and I get it, you know, yeah. it's, we, we, you know, that, you know, it, the same thing happens no matter what it is that you're gifted at. Right. Like it happens to kids who said, right. <laughs> yeah. Well, thank you. <laughs> Someone re listen to this podcast and do a, who says oh. right more often. Oh. Yeah. Probably me. Maybe. Um, but um, what was I saying? Oh, like kids who play sports, mm-hmm. right? The naturally play, naturally gifted sports player will get pretty far until they kind of like stall out. And like if they don't put in the work, they're not going to get farther than that. Yeah. You know? And and it's it's like that with anything that you are naturally gifted with. Yeah. Um, how would – like I – what would you say, Cameron? I don't know. I've been thinking about this. I've been thinking about like calls in the ministry mm-hmm. and, you know, and kind of wondering like, are there people around us who are called in the ministry? And, you know, do we need to be issuing um, like, you know, I don't know. I we don't do we ha- at least I don't think we've ever done a sermon here that I know of while I've been here at least that's been like a direct call in the ministry. I know that that used to be like a type of sermon that pastors mm. and churches would preach on a on occasion. There's not really a I guess there's a te- there's probably texts out there that you could use for that, 
but there's not like a text that in itself is a call to ministry necessarily. Yeah, no, I can think of like, you know, Paul's words to Timothy mm-hmm. about, um, you know, fanning the flame of the gift that was in you, have people lay their hands on you and pray for you, you yeah. know. Um, but yeah, I don't know. But to answer your question, yeah, I think we should. If even if we're not doing it from the from the stage or from the pulpit in mm-hmm. a public way, we probably should be more cognizant, aware, looking for raising up, calling out of um, the congregation those who we believe um, have been called to ministry mm-hmm. or have a calling in ministry. How does someone know? Like, what what are your like? Oh boy. <laughs> Maybe that's its own, own, own podcast episode. Yeah, but. wow. Um, how does someone know? <sighs> that's a really good question. Um, I feel like the cliche answer, I don't know. I kind of, I like and I don't like this answer because it gets at something that's true, but it also, I think it... I think it unnecessary. The answer I've always heard, and you know, I think it it goes way, way back. I don't know who the first person was that said it, but if you can do anything else, go do that. But if you feel this unlike, I think I said that. Well, you, yeah, you've said that, oh, but other people oh, have said okay. it for you, Cameron. Okay. Um, <laughs> I, I think it's original to me, actually. Oh, okay. Yeah, all right, Cameron, all right. Well, no, because um, I got it from John Wesley, you know, who yeah. essentially said, you know, if, unless God raised you up for this very thing, you will be worn out by the schemes of men and devils. Yeah, uh, yeah. And I think so Spurgeon something said yeah. something similar. Yeah, do something um, else, for sure. So, you know, this kind of like internal desire, but... You know, one of the things I don't particularly love about that is it doesn't call anybody. It, which is kind of counterintuitive. It's kind of following the model of Christ, like you know, kind of this. Um, you know, Christ was very. Um, he was well known for saying things that made people turn away from him. Right? Unless you eat of my flesh, you cannot have eternal life. Um, yeah, but foxes have holes. Yeah, but the Son of Man knows yeah. no place to lay his head. You know, all these things that would make it unattractive to go into ministry or to follow Christ. And so I think there is some wisdom there. But at the same time, if that's what we're, if that's the only thing we're ever saying, like, is anybody ever going to say yes to ministry or even think or consider? They're like, well, I mean, I'm not doing ministry now, so I suppose I should just keep doing that. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Yeah, I think we should do a whole podcast episode on this mm-hmm. um, because I have like I feel like there can be a list of things. Uh, here's how you may be discerning a call to ministry, mm-hmm. and then similar but like in the same conversation but different is a if you want to get into ministry because of this, don't. <laughs> yeah. Right. Oh. Do something else. Yeah. Or do something adjacent. Yeah. But not ministry. Yeah. Don't. Mm-hmm. Um. And then to talk about the difference in types of ministry within a church or within a ministry. Mm-hmm. You know, because you might say, "Well, I'm called to ministry, but I'm not called to be a pastor." Because mm-hmm. usually, what people think. 
I'm oh, called yeah. to ministry. Right. Well, well you want to be, be a pastor? pastor? Like, no, I don't want to be a pastor, but I'm called into ministry. Well, what, what does that, yeah. what, is, what do you mean? Right. Um, and um, I would say as a, like in a general, in a real general way um, that there is kind of the inverse of what we had already said is that there is a undeniable and burning passion that this is your life's work. Mm -hmm. At least that's how I understand or have understood my calling in the past is that while there are other things that I could do, I could work at Home Depot. I could do X, Y, or Z. Cameron Obviously, is always saying how he'd love to go organize the two by fours. Yes, they need uh. organized. <laughs> uh, um, you know, you I could do this certain thing. Um, that there is I like I. There's an undeniable and burning passion to serve the Lord through His church mm-hmm. for me. Yeah, like, and I know that unless the Lord dramatically changes my heart mm-hmm. or my call or is like burning bush moment, yes, then Cameron, Cameron, yeah, right, go organize go the this. two by fours. Go, yeah, go organize <laughs> the two by fours. That I will spend the rest of my natural life as a pastor mm-hmm. of some form. Yeah. Um. Sherry and I have even talked recently about like, so we've got, you know, we, like we save for retirement. Sure. Good for you. Yeah. And I'm also like, why though? Why would I retire? Yeah. Yeah. I have a really hard time with the concept of not doing things. Yeah. I say that after I just got back from vacation where I did nothing but right. Like I can't imagine being like, Oh, 67 all done now. (laughs) All done. Gonna go play some golf. Yeah. <laughs> Gonna go trim my lawn. <laughs> and that's not to say like I don't I don't take any issue with people, pastors who are like, Man, I did my time. Sure. I'm I'm done. Yeah. I'm done. Um, no issue with that at all. I just don't feel like I'm in a place where I like I I don't know what what that will I don't like. know how I could do that. Mm-hmm. And maybe retirement l- will look like the ability to serve a church without the... The complexities of being employed by it. Yeah, or yeah. or like having the church be burdened by having to pay me. Right. Or serving a church... In like a capacity, in like a capacity that our like our pastor Gordy does here, right. encourages the staff and the pastors, teaches a Bible study class mm-hmm. or a Sunday school class, like involved in ministry and discipleship, yeah. loving the people. But um, I can see that I can see coming alongside younger pastors, mm-hmm. pastors who are just coming into ministry and just encouraging them and loving them and being a yeah. safe place for them to land, you know, um, but like being like done with ministry just doesn't compute with me. Um, but um, yeah, I think let's, let's, let's make this our next podcast episode. Yeah. How do you know when you're called to ministry? Yeah. What is ministry? Mm-hmm. 
like how would how do you define ministry outside of what it means to be a pastor? What does it mean to be a pastor? Yeah. Some of that we talk about kind of normally, but do you have any like immediate like a uh, how do I know I'm called? No. Okay. Uh, other, you know, mm. uh, not nothing other than what I think we've said, mm-hmm. you know. I you know, there's like the framework of internal call, external call and yeah. uh communal affirmation. Yeah, I mean, there's people who are going to tell you you're called, and you're not going to believe them, and then you're going to start to believe it, and you're going to start to see gifts that align with the calling and when you use those gifts, fruit's going to be produced and yep. But I I'll also be the first to say I met a lot of people who their grandmother or their youth pastor said, oh, you'll make a great pastor. Mm-hmm. They went away to Bible college. They got halfway through Bible college, and they're like, oh, I should not do this. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know? And so it's it's a, it's a difficult discernment. So Yeah. Yeah. So if you hear this and you've got any, any questions about, you know, uh, callings to ministry or, like, creative – ways of being in ministry and not being a pastor or anything like that, um, drop us a comment, you know, um, Mm -hmm. when you hear this episode so we can include it as we record the next episode. Yeah. Yep. That would be great. And we did get a question in on our text line. Oh yeah, we did. This past week. We did. Um, Who is Cameron Linehart? Who is Pastor Cameron? Who is Pastor Cameron? Yeah. Who is Pastor Cameron? Yeah. Well, I am Pastor Cameron. Um, and my last name is Linehart, and I pastor at Conduit Ministries in Jamestown, New York, 120 Delaware Avenue, Jamestown, New York, 14701, www.conduitministries.org. I am not hard to find. Nope. Um, we worship on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m., and you can also find us online with our services via Facebook or YouTube or on our website. Or so, Instagram. Or Instagram, or you can just show up. You can uh-huh. if you're in western New York. Yep. So, who is Pastor Cameron? That is me. That is you. That is me. So, that was the question. But seriously, if you do have a question you'd like us to address on the podcast or elsewhere, you can always text us, 716-201-0507. You can comment if you're on YouTube, uh, watching this on YouTube. We have been able to interact with some of the comments on YouTube. Mm-hmm. last couple of um, videos up on YouTube or episodes on YouTube got quite prolific in the comment section. Wish we had more time to really delve into those. Also, wish we had more time to delve. I just want to just sit down with some of these people. Yeah, I know. Hug them. Mm-hmm. Love them. Mm-hmm. Hear them. Spend time with them. Yep. Like Because the medium of like communicating via comments section. It's very detached. So much to be, so much to be missed there. Yeah, so. and and I think we'll get back to some of those questions eventually. I think we were even talking about do we continue that conversation today? But we both felt like we needed some space to kind of think and even maybe prepare to kind of like address some of those heavy questions. So yep, yep. All right. Well, thanks for listening. We'll catch you on the next one.